Welcome to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the show where I get to talk to all these amazing, beautiful, creative, positive creators that I know in my life and beyond. Uh, today, I have a really good friend of mine. He's an old friend, Adida Fallen Angel, very creative man. He's originally from Israel. He does everything. He, uh, you know, he does paintings and skateboard graphics and graphic design and music and photography, etc., etc., etc. We're gonna get to learn a lot about him today. So, Adi, how you doing, my brother? It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Like that we're doing this interview after ten years. We know each other. Right. It, it's kind of interesting, like interviewing your friends who you. I already know a lot about exactly. you, so a lot of the questions I make you are questions that I already know the answers. These interviews are real, real, little bit more to share your vibes with, uh, you know, the people who might watch this, you know, who might not know you. That's true. That's true. Plus, so, you might find new things you didn't know. Yeah, no, it, it always happens. It's always interesting. So uh, let's start with your name, Adida Fallen Angel. What's up with that? What does that mean? Uh, that's a good question because like it, it keeps evolving. But I think about a decade ago, I wanted to separate my personal life and my artist life. And I saw that all the uh, great artists, they have an artist name. Right. So I, It's more rememberable. It's more memorable because Adih. Kavus is nobody can spell that right. It's too cultural. It's too cultural. It's very uh, kind of Israeli name, and I wanted to step away, be more international. And back then, I just started to go into a spiritual way of living, doing a lot of meditation, and I got really hooked up on angels. I was really fascinated with this concept of of walking on Earth uh, with wings or without wings. So I decided to attach that to my name. I took Adi, turned it into Adida because I wanted a name that you can read from both right to left. Okay. And it's also symmetrical. That's what happens when you do a lot of graphic designs and typography. You look at words like that. Mm -hmm. And I added Fallen Angel because I really, back then I thought that I have a lot to pay for for my youth. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like... I'm an angel, I'm pure and like uh, I'm all shiny and white, but I thought like, okay, I'm a fallen angel. I have to earn my way back to heaven by doing good deeds. Mm -hmm. And I'll do that by creating art, positive art. And that's how all the love concepts start evolving. And it just got stuck, I guess. Now I think it's, it's a bit maybe too long as a name. Yeah, but as long as it's rememberable, you know, like... Uh... Chris Dyer's Positive Creations. Exactly. It's a long name for a brand name or a exactly. title or whatever. Now, now you sign your work Chris Dyer. And the Chris year. Dyer, yeah. So I started to sign mine as either Adida or Art by Adida, and that's fine. I rarely use the Fallen Angel now, but it, it follows me. Right, and the Fallen Angel, even though your intention is to uh, heal those negative aspects of uh, your past, 
it's still to the person who doesn't know you might sound like you're like a devil worshiper or exactly something. <laughs> exactly i i had issues with uh, christians that were like oh lucifer is a fallen angel and stuff like that and i had to explain no it's a concept or something like that so now it sticks more adida and if you really want to go down to it i'll explain to you but Eventually, we're all just trying to, you know, do our thing here on the planet, and I'm full on the positivity. Right, beautiful. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you remember how we met? Like, I know we we met through my brother Peru. Exactly. And uh, we met on the internet, and we were talking. We saw we we're both into the skate industry and art. And you were supposed to come to Montreal for like years, and you never did. And then eventually, by the time you came, it was the time of my wedding in 2010, and you yeah. were the photographer, right? Was that the first time we met? No, we met before that. Uh, first, I met you when you did like a wall piece, an early under pressure version somewhere on Saint Saint Laurent. Yeah. Saint Laurent. When there was all those buildings in the red zone. Exactly, that exactly. You know, so hide. you told me you were painting there, and I passed by, took a photo of you, uh -huh. met you there. You were busy painting, and then like I show you the photo, I send you the photos. And that was pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook uh, pages, all that stuff uh, came later. And I think you invited me to a barbecue. Mm -hmm. And that's where we got a little bit closer. Okay. And then we sort of started hanging out more. And I came to your wedding, took photos. And before we know it, we started to work together in creation and yeah. did graphics here and there and skate a bit. And yeah, now we're long, long friends. One of my best friends. Adia is such a, a great person. So you want to oh. keep the good ones around, you know? You're the first, uh, the first, my first friend in Montreal and the first person that's somehow was related to arts and when I saw you work I was like oh my god you can make a living out of that and you were so inspiring even back then back then you were shipping uh, prints on your Etsy page mm -hmm. you didn't have uh, an Instagram it was Chris Dyer positive creation and you were just starting to brewing everything uh, that you are today the momentum was building. Yeah, and you were really busy and you were super into the skateboarding and you were doing so much and I was so honored just to hang out and you are the first person that I think uh, that I saw that was like taking his art on a wall and I was so impressed with size. I had to try it myself. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm happy uh, that, uh, you know, added inspiration to your path and that... Uh... I owe you a lot just by... You know, by, by, by our friendship and working with you, I learn a lot about how to do things because you're really, you are a businessman, but you're also a very positive, spiritual kind of guy. You are really down to earth, but you also, you're not a fool. <laughs> you, don't, you don't just say yes to everything. You know the value of your time. And for me, like, it was like, I couldn't, my brain was not even there to understand you can make uh, art a living. And you were the first example of that, so I'm like, I'm well, following you. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to do it. I didn't know anybody when I figured yeah. it out for myself, but I know I wanted to do it. It was like, fuck, I'm an artist. Like, I gotta live off this. If not, I gotta have a job that makes me unhappy in order to do my art. So if I can figure out the art equation, let's let's see if we can. And then I found my ways, and definitely I'm always down to share that with my friends and anybody else who wants to liberate themselves and live a life of passion and creativity and soul, you know? Like, that's everybody it, should it. live that way. That's it. Um, 
But uh, so you arrived in Montreal what year? 2000, I think 2008, I got to, to uh, the Laurentians with my band to record our demo. I fell in love with Canada, then I decided to leave the Netherlands, which I was living for almost a decade. So I left Europe, went to Israel, tried there for a few months, didn't work out, came back to Canada, decided I need a fresh start. Uh, got stuck for two years up in the Laurentian, which was amazing because you got back to nature. I really needed that. Mm -hmm. But at some point, there's no work there right. in graphics, photos, there's nothing. There's, mm -hmm. It's empty. And I felt like I will never be able to earn my living. And I, I was so detached from the business that I was uh, involved with. So I moved to Montreal and my guitar player lived here. So that was my first hookup. So that's how we got really into the music. Right. So you came to Montreal for the music yeah. and actually being in that band is what helped you kind of like stay because of your visa. Like your band was always uh, kind of like yeah. backing you up that this guy has to stay in Canada. We need him around for the band to work. Yeah, He's that's, a that's lead true. singer. So tell me a little bit about Spoon Liquor and your, and your rock project. So Spoonlicker started uh, in the Netherlands, Rotterdam, where I was doing a lot of, I was a VJ before I was even a photographer. So I did a lot of visual uh, uh, events with drum and bass and hip hop in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And in uh, Rotterdam? Yeah, in Rotterdam, Amsterdam, in mm -hmm. Berlin, in Prague, like uh, all oh, sorts of fun. cities. I was really busy. It was, um, it was prime time of, of visuals. Right. It was very new. There were only a handful of VJs. That concept just began to have a, a huge screen behind a DJ with visuals. That was really just happening in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So I was really in that. So I knew all the, the DJs and I was constantly traveling with them. And one of my best friends, he was organizing hip hop uh, events. So I did visuals for his parties. After a while, we became friends. And after a while, he told me that he's a drummer and he has a band and it's an instrumental band mm -hmm. that does funk metal. And he gave me a CD and it sounded amazing. And that was the, f the first time I heard Spoonlicker. Mm -hmm. So Spoonlicker was already active before I joined in, but they never had a singer. Okay. And I really always wanted to sing or be behind a mic because all of my greatest uh, music uh, influences are like hardcore singers. So he invited me and for about a year or two, I just mumble like an idiot with the microphone. So you didn't even know how to sing when you no, wanted to join no. the band? Even if you, you just wanted to be a singer? I just wanted wow. to, to be involved with music because I love music so much. I'm, I'm a drummer myself, but since I started traveling, I couldn't take the drums with me. So I kind of let it slide. Mm -hmm. But I always love music so much. And for me to, to sing is like a great way of self-expression. Mm -hmm. So they really welcomed me and let me like basically freestyle on all the instrumental tracks. That's so crazy. So you moved to Canada to live in the Laurentians in, in nature for two years. Yeah. Wanting to be the singer of a band, but not even knowing how to sing. You're just I like, oh, no just, let's just figure this one out. We'll <laughs> figure this one out, which is what I do with everything. Photography I figured out, street art I figured out, graphic design. Like I, I went to school, but the, they only give you tips on how right. to start. They don't really tell you how to run your own business. Right. 
how to deal with clients, how to evolve your style. I think the best schools are the schools that kind of teach you how to figure it out yourself and be self-sufficient. Of course, give you a general, like, this is how it's going to be. Yeah. But you got to throw, jump in the water and learn how to swim by just doing it. And I advise it. Go jump in the water because the more you learn by mistakes and copy-pasting yourself and reinventing yourself and trying new things, you add more tools to your toolbox. Right. And that's what I always wanted. I wanted to be the guy that can build your site, take your photos for your products, do your video, add a soundtrack that is coming from me. I'm your one guy. Nice. And back in the early 2000s, that was called a multimedia producer. Mm -hmm. And you would have to learn all the fields so you can answer all these answers to your client. Mm -hmm. And I love that concept. Instead of hiring a, a, this guy and hiring this guy and this guy, if you learn all, you get one client and he's just stuck with you because you can right. do everything for them. And you get paid more because you're offering more services. Exactly. So let's go back to the band. So you moved yeah. to Canada. How did it go with the band? The band, uh, well, we were doing very good in the Netherlands. It took me a couple of years until I opened up. Uh, I found that I am very good uh, lyricist. It was very easy for me to write full-on songs. And the way I was singing, it was sounded a bit like early Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is more rapping than singing, mm -hmm. mixed with a bit of uh, Rage Against the Machine. Which is also rap which rock. Which is also, exactly, rap rock. There's very little harmony. So mm -hmm. that was how I attacked it at first. I didn't understand like how to go high or low. I just attacked it with lyrics uh -huh. and it was very raw, very hard. Yeah. And the first three years were great. We were starting to perform. We went into competition, which we surprisingly started to win. So I understood that there was something happening there. And back, back then in the Netherlands, I had it really, really hard. Like I was uh, spiritually really confused. I, I went cold turkey. I stopped drinking, stopped drugs, uh, went vegetarian. And like I didn't take steps. I just stopped everything. I wanted to become a spiritual person. So when you know, when you decide to have a spiritual person, you have to pay the toll of right. all the stuff you did before and why and how are you and who am I without all these substances and yeah. all this stuff. And at the same time, financially, I was doing really bad. So the music was my escape. We were playing two, three times uh, a week. Live or no in a, in a basement like building our tracks building and building and mm -hmm. building and I was lucky that my band was already like really geared guys so we had all the gear and constantly recording everything so we could listen the the day after of what happened so I was very it took me very little time to understand okay this needs better lyrics this needs a scream this needs mm -hmm. while other bands play in a garage for a decade they don't even know how they sound we were like methodically gutting ourselves and rebuilding mm -hmm. and at some point we realized we need an album you need to record because nobody yeah there was nowhere to listen to us soundcloud didn't exist back then or any other platform so we decided to uh, record a demo my bass player married a canadian and she had a family in the laurentians and her dad and her boyfriend not boyfriend her brother mm -hmm. They're all musicians. Mm -hmm. So we decided let's fly to the Laurentians to her father's studio mm -hmm. and record our demo there. Sounds beautiful. So that's how I came the first time to Canada. Before that, I didn't know 
where Canada is on the map. I knew it's above the US. <laughs> I had no idea of a city named Montreal. I didn't know what the Laurentian is. And I definitely didn't know what winter was. <laughs> winter in Europe, not even come close. I thought I knew winter. Right. I got here in February. Oh, no. To record a demo. Uh -huh. It was beyond cold like yeah, i didn't like, have enough gear oh, no. it was it was painful especially in the country where it gets colder oh. and the houses are less equipped for it's it. crazy beautiful yeah but you do not know what minus 20 is europe is minus five you yeah. know and like, you're, yeah it's terrible like, <laughs> so i i got hit in the face but it was it was so powerful it was beautiful at the same time nice we recorded for a whole month strictly music not not doing anything but music which is what you see a lot of bands do they move to a castle somewhere uh -huh. they record a whole album there no interruptions and they make amazing albums right so we did that but our band exploded at the end we had our serious issues with our guitar player mm. and we decided we're, we're done oh. we're going back to the netherlands the band is breaking up oh. it was a, a disaster <laughs> i said i'm done with with the band and I am done with the Netherlands, I'm out. I packed my things and I went to Israel for six months, which was even harder because I was so detached from Israeli life that every, I, everything I saw, I compared it to European standards. And it just seemed archaic and And I was backwards. like, what is this? This is not how you do business. This is not how you write a contract. This is, this is all like, mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, like people passing money, just fix this stuff. And I was like, so while we're talking about Israel, I want to ask you, how is it being an Israeli? It's an interesting country because it's yeah. a new country. It has a sad history, both, well, the Israeli people have a sad history in history, but also the creation of Israel is a sad history to some people also. What's your position? Depending what side of the wall you are. Right. Yeah. So how do you feel being Israeli? Did you go to the army? Were you forced to do that? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the political situation? How is it being an Israeli? An Israeli? Uh, it's sort of a curse and a blessing, I consider it. Uh, you don't really know what it is to be an Israeli when you're a kid. You just you know, you grow up, you have friends, you, you, you listen to your parents, you listen to your teachers, to your peers, and you believe most of the stuff. You don't question it because everybody believes in the same thing. Right. Uh, at some point, early, I think 13, 14, I started to detach from my school friends, which I still in contact with, but I got into skateboarding. Mm-hmm. In skateboarding, as you know, you meet a whole new different kind of people that are not the same typical kids from school. Mm -hmm. They are either outcasts or uh, hoodlums or punks mm -hmm. or super cool people that will show you a world that you never knew. Your parents didn't taught you that, TV didn't taught you that, your mm -hmm. school didn't taught you, taught you that. Right. That's where I started to understand that there's a world bigger than the concept of Israeli. Mm. Uh, and I started questioning things. So uh, when I went to the army, I did not want to go. But back then it was extremely um, bad if you don't go. You go to jail. You can either go... If you can, you can either not serve if you want, go to jail. So I'm not serving, straight to jail. Or 
you have to prove that you are mentally incapable, mm-hmm. which means you will have to go to see a shrink or psychiatrist. Mm. You have to, you will get certified by a doctor that you are psychosis, mm-hmm. which means you will have to have to take medication. Uh, they will review your parents. So even if you want to go that way, it will be marked in your uh, permanent record that you are unstable. Mm-hmm. And they tell you this when you are 17. Mm-hmm. So you want to go to prison or you want to be outcast for life. For being crazy. And they Plus, everybody is going to be like, oh, what a bad patriot who didn't exactly. fight the evil people. You won't be able to get a job. You won't be able to go to a university because that thing will haunt you. It's like a black stain on your, on your diploma of life. So you went to the army and what did you do? Well, lucky for me, I had severe asthma and you are, you become a number when you join the army and right next to your number, official number, there is the number of your health. So a hundred percent is somebody that is a superman. Mm -hmm. All Israelis are 97 because they've been circumcised. So you take three percent for your little wee wee and... Then they started uh, going down. So when you get circumcised, that already takes away free percentage of your health. So why even circumcise other than the cultural aspect? It is. It is Jewish thing. Well, it's so funny how they consider it it's, like it's, you're three yeah, percent less yeah. healthy if you don't have yeah. that piece of skin. So I guess if let's say I would lose a finger, I would have like five percent less also. What a weird way. It's to a weird way it. to calculate things. Oh so I have bad eyes. I lost like 10%. Uh-huh. Uh, like I have a limp or let's say something like this. So asthma is really up there. Asthma would cut your health in half. Mm-hmm. And once it's cut in half... They don't you want c- you out you, there shooting. They people. don't want you in the combat area. So you're not going to drive a tank or a helicopter. You're not going to be in the f- uh, forefront like shooting anybody. You're going to be in an office mm. where it's safe, where there's no asthma related uh, right. uh and can you fake the bad health situation if you want to get out of it like without if you fake it and they found out prison wow so i faked it and told them i don't have asthma because oh. back then i was so egotistical i was like i'm not gonna show weakness i'm gonna fight because everybody of my friend is like a tank warrior right. and i cannot be the guy that has the weak lungs. What's your age? 17? Yeah, I'm 17. Wow. So At 17, I would have loved to go to war. At 17, I was in a street 17. gang and I, it would sound really exciting. I was, I was like, like, <laughs> like, give me this or there's no way I'm going to... It's like a real video game. You know? Yeah, like, it's like just, a real video game. You're I'm just not, so well, stupid and malleable you're when, so you're, stupid. when you're oh, young. You oh, know? So stupid. And so I faked it and they sent me to become um, a police, uh, army police uh, uh, like investigator, which is the worst because not only people hate cops, they hate police uh, from the army even worse. Uh. And they found out that I lied about my asthma, that I said that I didn't have it because they found early records uh. and they uh, sent uh, like an officer to come and arrest me wow. to take me to jail. <gasps> but uh, an office that I did like work for like two months in computers, they, they realized that I was so valuable because I was already a geek head 
before that, uh-huh. they blocked that officer and said like, no, 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 don't arrest him, he's with us. Yeah, so yeah. when I finished my training, I became a member of the computer room, the computer which is like room, a yeah. super geeky, super knowledgeable, cannot enter the room unless you have the special key. So it's kind of like you stop being that like hateable cop. Yeah. Because he had bad... It was all a blessing in a way. You just it's didn't, totally a blessing. You didn't they saved me. I could have ended up in jail, which would have totally changed my life, or end up as an as a army police mm-hmm. investigator, which usually what happens when you finish the army, you either continue or you end up and become a real cop mm-hmm. because it's related or you're in some security or something. Mm-hmm. So they pulled me up, put me in an uber geeky place, and for three and a half years I was like... I became a hacker, basically. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was great because I did uh, uh, shifts instead of being there six a.m. to six p.m. I would do two days, then three days I would be at home. Hmm, I'll do cool. a night shift, disappear in the morning. So I was able to still skate, hang out with my friends. I was able to work, which was forbidden uh, back then. You cannot have a job and be in the army. But I didn't tell anybody. So I was DJing at night, oh, cool. getting super drunk and stoned, <laughs> and in the morning going to do my shift in the army in a private room where nobody can judge me or you know do yeah, the yeah. speculations why there's dirt on your shoes. So this is Tel Aviv life, that is Tel Aviv. or like Israeli life in general. Yeah. But Tel Aviv is like kind of like well, the capital, not officially. It's not officially, mm. but it's like it you know, is. like Amsterdam. In the Netherlands, but Amsterdam is not the capital. Right. So, like, well, both Israel and Palestine claim uh, Jerusalem as their capital, but the the rest of the world's like, no, 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 it's these other no, cities. No. Like, no one owns Jerusalem. Exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's too big of a discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, how was it like living other than the the war and stuff? Like, how is it living in Tel Aviv? I went last year and I I really liked it. Like, people were friendly to me. You know, there's. Personalities everywhere, but beautiful, uh, you know, historical buildings, beautiful beaches, yeah. lots of street art, seen like the party scene, beautiful ladies. It, was just, it seems like a really cool city for what it is, especially in, in the Middle East. It's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite places. It's really chaotic. There's so much energy going on. It's really compressed. There's, it's a, definitely a party, 24 hours party uh, town. Mm-hmm. It's there's politically I also like this town because they're most of the people that are young they're very open minded they they want the best for the country mm-hmm. and I always have good time there but it's very difficult also to survive because the rent is insane uh, minimum wage is very sad so people work there seven days a week they work all day and they party all night. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that energy. Mm-hmm. So whatever field you're into, you're going to find your your niche there. You're going to find people that are like-minded and you'll be busy. You're always going to be busy. But it will grind you also. <laughs> right. Because there's there's nothing else. It's a bubble. Everybody knows Tel Aviv is a bubble. You get stuck there for, you want to go for two weeks, you end up two years there. Right. And uh, you can escape to the beach or a little bit up north or you know small places but uh i've seen a lot of good men like uh having a hard time there because it's 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 
it's super demanding. It's like living in New York. You cannot right. just chill in New York. There's, yeah. there's rent to be paid, there's work to be done. Plus the politi politics are inescapable. And even if you're just like, oh, I believe in Israel and whatever we do is fine. Yeah. There's other people who might observe like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have just fucking killed all these Palestine people and taken over their land. Maybe that's not correct. Maybe there's a solution. Maybe we should stop doing it because it seems like the invasion and occupation is still happening. It is beyond my brain capacity. And that goes back to the being Israeli part, which I'm really sad to say ashamed of. It's not the problem of being Israeli. Because that's just a title. It's yeah. just Jewish or white. These are they're, the they're boxes labels. that, that were exactly. given to us. You know, like <laughs> my problem is the government, the politics, the 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 dirt that uh, is tainted with blood on both sides. That I always had a, a a problem with it. And when I left Israel after the army, when I finished the army, I was I was done. Because in the army, I saw how absurd uh, elderly mind way of thinking in politics because if you've been in the army for 30 40 years you really see this I must protect the land it's us versus them get everybody to do this and I was like that that is insane right they're still human beings they're still human beings and the there's no way the whole world is like that. So I said to myself, I gotta go out, yeah. find out if this is planet Earth or this is just the bubble that I was raised in. Right. And the second I stepped out and start seeing my own country, my home from outside, my whole brain started to, to reevaluate everything that I was taught in history, mm -hmm. in my parents, my teachers, my peers. Beautiful. Yeah, traveling is so crucial for perspective yeah. and seeing who we are in the reflection it. of something else. Yeah. So after living in Israel to what age? When you left, what, what age were you? And where did I you... finished the army at 21. Then for a year and a half, I had a skateboard shop, which was maybe one of the best years of my life. You owned it? I co-owned it with okay. a friend that he invested all the money and I managed the whole thing. Okay, what was it called? Street Cult. Okay, nice. It was in my hometown, a small little place, right outside where we always been skating for, for a long time. So I, I, to me, it felt like I made it because I would wake up, I would drive to the skate store, open it up, put the music that I like, get the kids in, putting the decks, the skateboards, going to other shops, ordering decks, ordering clothes, ordering right, shoes so of my favorite brands, close the shop, go skate outside with all the friends, go back in, open up, Smoke a J, have a pizza, go skate, have a couple of beers. Uh-huh. What a, what a good life. It was a year and a half of pure gold. And financially, we were dying. Oh, it was no good. <laughs> no. Oh, because bad. I was hoping you would tell me and we actually made money. <laughs> no, there was no money. We were sinking all the time because oh. skateboard is, is a difficult business. Yeah, the margins are low. The margins are low. Um, it costs a lot of money to bring stuff to Israel. It's not like in the US, you can have a skateboard for five, ten bucks, sell it for like 30, 40, 50. Mm -hmm. In Israel, I, it would cost me 20, 25 bucks just to get the deck. And if I would charge the real prices, nobody would shop. So I was making deals 10% off, 15% off. The wheels are on me. Get your complete here. 
So we were super popular, but money did not really come in. So at some point I decided to leave to the US, to the ASR trade show in, uh, in San, San Diego, Diego yeah. to meet all the real hardcore skate companies brand, become the, the middleman instead of ordering from a guy in Europe. Distributors. Yeah. yeah, I'll become my own distributor. Okay. I went for three days and stayed for two years. Ah, so you lived in San Diego for two yeah. years? Wow, how was that? That was the best. Yeah. I, I have a very, very beautiful room in my heart for California. Yeah. It's, it's you know beautiful. how it is. Oh, it's, it's the vibes. And for a skater. It's for a skater that likes surfing and into hip hop and funk rock and punk rock, California. California. Yeah. yeah. Just the word itself makes me smile. Totally. Well, when I went there for three days, I make all the contacts with everyone. I had this amount of business card of, you know, Willie Santos and Tony Hawk and Day One Song and uh, Matt Hensley. And I was ready to come back to Israel to rebrand the shop. And my partner told me that he's closing. Ah. So I was like, wow. I'm not coming back then. All right, then I'll stay down here with all the cool... It was, it, was, it was hard, but it was amazing like mm -hmm. to, to, to just have the beach nearby. Uh, I worked harder in California than anywhere else in shitty little dollar store shops, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. But the money was really good and skating was an everyday thing. So is drinking and smoking weed. Yeah. And just traveling along the coastline and just, and just loving life. Totally. At, at some point, I realized like I cannot make a living out of this. I'm I'm gonna either OD because <laughs> there's nothing else that I do besides drugs and alcohol and work all day long in really crappy jobs, mm -hmm. and I have no education, mm. and I have no skills besides like cleaning floors or you know fixing gear on some some wall. Mm -hmm. That's when I decided, okay, I can I cannot continue. So so what's the next move? Next move was Europe. Europe, okay. And uh, I went to Europe. Uh, before that, I tried Israel again with my open-mindedness of California life, and Israel again failed me. It just probably was even harder to go back. I tried to become uh, a specialist in computer uh, technology, and they hit me, you need to go to this test and this test, SATs and like really high educational stuff, and I was like a pothead back then. <laughs> so it... I tried the test and I failed all of them. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm not up to your standards. I'm out. So I tried France for six months. Uh -huh. didn't, didn't work at all. No? Paris oh, okay. or somewhere? Paris. Oh, yeah. uh, how, but you lived in Paris for six months? Yeah. That's it was beautiful and painful at the it, same it time. It seems like a stressful city. Like... As a tourist, you go and it's like, wow, amazing. But you get exhausted after two, three days being like, get me out of here. This yeah. is too much. So I Try, can't imagine. Trying, to, trying to get a job, get around, uh, go to school without knowing France, French in uh, Paris. Uh -huh. Good luck. <laughs> I got rejected in every corner. I, would go, I, would, I had like a room smaller than this that I paid a couple of hundreds of euros for nothing. I would eat uh, like croissants and baguettes. That was my dinner. 
<laughs> I tried maybe four different uh, art schools. They all rejected me, not because of my skills, but because I couldn't even have a perfect uh, sentence in French. Right. I tried maybe 10 different jobs from being a Zara head manager, because I had retail in my credentials. I, I managed stores before in the US and in Israel. Mm -hmm. So I can manage a Zara clothing store. But the second that I couldn't express myself in French, get out. So I couldn't even get a... Sounds a, a, like us in Montreal now. Yeah. <laughs> no, we really got to learn French. Yeah, yeah. What's up with that? We're idiots. I couldn't even get a, a dishwasher job in, in a restaurant. So I was like, I'm done. So mm -hmm. I moved to Berlin. Mm. And in Berlin, I, I found a school that showed me how cool things are mm. in the graphic world. Now, Berlin, even though you don't know German, it's yeah. so multicultural and exactly. open and cheap, at least at that time, because so many abandoned buildings and so many street, arts from all, street artists from all around the world going there to live and figure exactly. out the art game. It was sort of like a colder version of Tel Aviv uh -huh. with crazy amount of street art, skaters, super young people, party town, English was sort of okay. Uh, we're talking the year 2002, I think. Okay, nice. And I met really cool people through party scenes. So I thought at first to study music, study like making electronic music, trip hop, drum and bass, stuff that I was into it. And they show me a great school that teaches in English. Mm -hmm. And that school showed me that they have a graphic department. Mm -hmm. And back then, just the, the first Mac came... Uh, I think Photoshop 5 mm -hmm. came out and they told me that I'll be more suited to that because that's a field because I'm already, I know my way in computers. Nice. But they told me that this year the, the entire school is in German. So I have to learn German at the same time that I'll go to school. Mm. And I, it was way too much for my brain. Yeah. So they Languages told me are not easy. Yeah, no. It's a lot of words and pronunciation and exactly. conjugation. It's 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 even How it's as hard as French. <laughs> right. How long did he stay in Germany? Six months also. Okay. Which was great because I'd it, love to live in Berlin for yeah. six months. That sounds especially in the in the early to mid two thousands before it got too gentrified. When the love parade was still in its prime, not uh, overused, overabused, and way too many people. It was uh, just like, it was wonderful. I did so much drugs, it's, I can't even remember <laughs> half of the time there. Jesus. Yeah. Good stuff. Nice. So what's the next big city you moved to? So th that school told me that they have, a, it's a worldwide college system. So they have the same school in almost every major city. Uh-huh. So they told me, go to Amsterdam, we have one there. So I packed my bags and moved to Amsterdam. Yeah. In Amsterdam, they told me that it's, the class is full for this year. Oh. So I, was, I, I didn't know what to do. And the manager told me that uh, a room is open in the same school in Rotterdam, which is an hour drive from Amsterdam. Uh -huh. So I went there. And according to the policy of this college, if one student speaks English, the entire class must be taught in English. Wow. So before I joined what in, it was, it, it was a Dutch. It was Dutch class, 30 people. Did they really hate you for it? For the beginning, yes. <laughs> That's 
bro. For the first few months. It's like, ah, oh, this motherfucker doesn't know our language and now we all gotta speak exactly. his language. Exactly. <laughs> and that school was not cheap. Wow, that's such a weird thing. Like, if that would happen in Canada or the United States, people would go bananas being like, what? A Mexican joined our school and now we're all going to speak Spanish even though we don't exactly. know a language? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt so bad the first few months because there were some... Some people were like... English in the Netherlands is quite okay. It's kind of second language. Uh -huh. But some some of the students, they were not really good at English. So I, they were eyeballing me for the first few months like this guy. <laughs> You're gonna get stabbed in the bathroom. Lucky, lucky for me, all the programs, all of Adobe's programs are in English. Uh -huh. So like the teachers were sort of talking Dutch, but when they talk about copy-paste layers, they use the word because right. you cannot really have that software in another language. Right. To, to compensate on the hate, I told myself, uh, I better be good at this school or they're going to hate me even more. Right. Because... You got to, you know, be worth it for them, you know? It's like, so, oh, this guy yeah. ruined it all, plus he plus sucked. Plus he sucked. So I made it uh, from the beginning. I'm gonna be the best, uh, the best student in this class, and I, I made it work. Nice. I was the top in the class in all the tests, in all the projects. And this is graphic design. This was graphic design, 3D modeling, a little bit of photography, video editing, sound editing, illustration, and the early days of Flash. Mm. where you can animate, where website had animation yeah. and sound. Yeah, that yeah. all happened in that era. Does Flash still happen? Like, is that still a thing? Uh, sort of. Yeah. You, YouTube, you, YouTube, the YouTube player is That's originally Flash. is Flash, uh, but nobody designs in Flash anymore. Right, it's an old school thing by now. old school but thing. But it was like the fucking shit for web pages back in the day. Everything was static before that. HTML, mm. suddenly you have an animation, an mm. intro for the website. It was sad when it, when it changed, when things simplified again, because there was yeah. some really original, beautiful Flash web pages. Exactly. I remember Andy Howell's web page where like this creature would skate around That's to it. the different sections that you wanted to see. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember my old web page. It was like me with the. Yeah, yeah, you had like crazy stuff going on there. Right. And then I had to go back to like, okay, here's a bunch of titles and choose what you want because everybody's on their phone now. <laughs> that's it. That's it. There was the early days, early 2000, where website became like a magical place. Mm -hmm. The real player came in. You can watch live shows, live videos, like animation started to to kick in. That was a wonderful time. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I went to that school. And How I... long were you in Holland? Seven years. Wow. So I went, I went strictly to study. That school was almost two years. And I got stuck there. Mm -hmm. In a good way. Yeah, it sounds great. I, like Holland is a beautiful country and the people are very friendly. And yeah, Europe's, if, if you can afford Europe, Europe is dope. Yeah, and, and the Netherlands is sort of... A cheap European, not as expensive as France for sure, or even parts of Germany or Spain, for instance, mm -hmm. and England, which is the most expensive. Mm -hmm. um, before I finished school, I had to give uh, the final project to get to you get certified as a degree, mm -hmm. and when I was walking to buy my weed back then, uh, I found a gallery, and. And they had a huge Obey uh, exhibition. Wow. Now, I didn't know nothing about street art, street artists. I didn't know it was a thing at all. I'd never really looked at walls. Just like a skater sees curbs and 
way to skate. If you're not a skater, you, you don't look at those things. You don't look at architecture that way. Mm -hmm. So before you know about street art, you pass by, you don't pay any attention. That exhibition stopped me in my place. In it was so shocking, the Obey poster. It had a huge American flag gutted and with lots of blood on the floor inside a gallery. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand what I'm looking at, but I couldn't move. That powerful imagery knocked me out of my socks. And I went back home and I looked at the website of that gallery and it was a horrible website. And I decided right then that I will build a new website for this gallery and this will be my final project to graduate. Mm -hmm. And I went to the gallery, which is called MAMA, a Media and Moving Arts Gallery, mm -hmm. which was one of the most advanced and still is the most advanced gallery in the Netherlands for this kind of shocking imagery. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the owner, the curator, and I told them that uh, your website sucks. I will do a new one for you. It will be for free and I will do it for my final graduation. Okay. And he said, no problem. Right. So yeah, I was supposed to do it in two months and I stayed there for three years. Wow. Yeah, and I moved up slowly by the guy in the corner that nobody knows the name to a full-on curator. And that's how I got into the visual arts. That's how I got into my own. I started to painting. Uh, that's how I got to know Miss Van and how I started to work with other artists like uh, mm. big names sort of came in through the industry. So the gallery worked with a lot of street artists and normal yeah. artists and you got to, you know, I was, I was there, yeah, I would, I would receive those artists like London Police and uh, Space Invader and they would come there and they would do their own installation. I would be with them for a month helping them build, giving them something to drink. I'll be the first guy that opened the gallery in the last one. I would roll their joints. Mm -hmm. I would sit down, I would update the website. I would sit all day long brewing street art, visual art, shocking art mm -hmm. for months after months after months. What a rich environment. It was the best <laughs> because uh, not only I, I, my brain opened up to, to what I am doing today, but it also helped me get my own professional understanding of how to look at art, how to value art how to interact with other artists, how to curate, how to build your own things. Mm -hmm. Until I reached to a point that I was like, okay, I think I covered everything because I was not being paid. <gasps> All that time you never got All paid? All that time. So they, how were you paying for this? They were giving me two, three hundred euros a month, which helped me cover the rent. Mm -hmm. The rest I would work in cleaning dishes, uh, cleaning floors, painting, painting people's houses, cleaning houses. Uh, I started a little bit doing graphic design. The VJing started happening, so I got a little bit of work here. I was hired to do video. Video editing also started back then until I realized I have to start my own business because I will die there. Mm -hmm. And I reached to a point that the gallery, back then, it was revolutionary. Nobody showed street art in a gallery back then. All the galleries after a few years, realize there's something happening here. Street art is becoming very popular. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So everybody started copying. So the gallery kind of lost its edge. Yeah. And I really wanted to start my own thing. So I started my own business. Mm -hmm. And I detached myself from the gallery. I was like, thank you. And that's how I started my 
VJing, photography, video business. Mm -hmm. And that's how also I started to meet the band members. Right. Uh, didn't you live in New York at one point too? Yeah. Yeah. When was that? Be uh, in the California, the California time. Uh -huh. uh, I spent like a month or two in California right after like the, the skate shop ended thing. Uh -huh. And I decided uh, I want to te test, taste, I want to taste a <laughs> bit of New York. Okay. And I went there for two months and it was horrible. Uh, where, where exactly? I, th I was in Queens. Okay. Queens, uh, the end of the 90s gunshots on a nightly basis was a regular thing wow. it was really scary because it looked exactly like all the scary movies of new york that i remember back then mm -hmm. it was cold it was rough outside it was like very ghetto vibe the city's gigantic mm -hmm. i didn't know what to do with myself i was yeah. staying at a friend's place it was overwhelming it was too much especially after coming after california like Everybody's welcoming, sunny, yeah. beach, skating. West Coast to East Coast vibes, eh? I got there and I was like, this is a tug life here, man. I don't know what I got to do. And I felt really scared. I, I think my brain scared me because I'm in New York, the big city. Right. Nothing really happened to me. But I'm just going to an, sleep at night. In an intimidating environment yeah. in general, I could imagine. Yeah. Cool. Well, after then, after all those travels and all those amazing cities... You end up in Montreal, and now you've stayed in Montreal after being in Paris, and Berlin, and New yeah. York, and San Diego, and Amsterdam. But you chose Montreal to be your home base, where you've been here for over 10 years. Yeah. Uh, what makes Montreal that, that uh, sweet spot of a city that you've chosen to live in? People like you! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, I'll give you your 10 bucks later. <laughs> Ten bucks it is. <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> ten bucks is ten bucks, yeah. Montreal is... I have a love and hate. Maybe because of the weather, which I didn't know at the beginning. And now I do know. But Montreal is like sort of a village. It's not a big city. It's not Toronto, which is intimidating. Kind of like New York. It's not super villagey that you don't... Nothing really happens. So spring and summer in Montreal is amazing. Everybody would tell you that. People are beautiful. Uh, the art scene here is explosively powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not crazy expensive. You, have, you still have great neighborhoods here that is quite affordable. Mm -hmm. uh, Canadians are the most nicest people I ever met on the planet, which is super plus. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's my kind of uh, speed. Sometimes I want it to be faster, sometimes it's too fast, depending on the month. But so far, it's quite amazing. It's not too stressful. It's not too stressful here. Mm -hmm. Like, I know we're in the middle of a pandemic, depending what side you look at it. And winters here are brutal, and business is not easy. I'm, I'm being very realistic. I'm not making big dough here i'm still in the struggling surviving mode well you're you're not legally allowed to work here which is a big disadvantage you have exactly. and you're working at your visa but these things take a while sometimes they takes a while and from the 10 year that i've here none of these years i've been legal like i've been legal as a visitor but for at least three to five years we're just applying for working papers which cost a lot of money which I have to sort of generate under the table 
in small doses to pay for this, to pay for that. I am so grateful that I have my loved one, Anna, and her family, because I will not be able to survive here. Without her, without the world that I'm in now, this life, I would have had to leave, because my band didn't really make it, to be honest. We, we, we did our album, we released our album, but we didn't really tour, because two of my members still live in Europe. Mm -hmm. So there was this detachment and all these planning that never came to fruition, which at the end, the band is in like forever uh, dormant. Right. And I don't know if we'll get back together again because I'm being realistic. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't look like it's gonna happen. Music is a lot harder to make it than art. Especially in Quebec. Oh yeah? If you sing in French, you might have a small following here. Mm -hmm. If you sing in English, you're gonna get hatred from the, the French community, which forces you to constantly tour outside. Mm -hmm. If you don't tour and earn your fans and you are constantly online, social networked 24 hours, selling merch 24 hours, getting on YouTube, making videos, live events. Social you, media. It's huh? full on, maybe you can earn a living mm -hmm. and then you have to do another album and festivals so for music now forget it in covid forget it Even there's worse. no festivals everybody in the music and movie industry they're they don't know what to do with themselves that's why they're starting their own youtube channels live gigs so donate hard. very hard wow. even for artists like yourself you used to be traveling constantly everything now is a little bit more difficult for you you have to push merch you have to make TV well, shows. <laughs> in my case, I I got a variety of, of uh, things that I offer. Yeah. One of them was my YouTube channel and exactly. the adventure show that I was offering then. And without traveling, now I'm doing this show. And it's definitely not a money-making endeavor. It's for the fun and the vibes and spreading the the media of my, my own artistic friends. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, COVID is a hard time, being a music is a hard time. So you went, uh, moving to Montreal, you dived into deeper into the fine arts. Yeah. You did photography, yeah. graphic arts, and paintings. Exactly. Tell me more about it. Tell me about maybe how you got into Fresh Paint and Under Pressure Festival. That is uh, you. That is, I blame you. So we shot your wedding. We started working together at Creation, so like we were making skateboard decks, we were doing catalogs, it was uh, Adi, Adi was my graphic designer for Creation Skateboards, a brand from California that I managed for a few years, back, a few years back. <laughs> back, back, back in the day, yeah. yeah. And that was super fun because I got to work on products to make my own skateboard was a dream come true your first one is like a baby basically almost. right and then you were skating your own graphic you were so happy that was so much fun yeah so we got uh, into like becoming friends and then one day you invited me to take photos of you building a skate robot in this place so i got there you were building a skate robot which is crazy from skateboard decks <laughs> and i'm in this mega size room yeah <coughs> it was a big abandoned building in middle downtown Montreal 
that was bought by the Scientologist to create like a fantastic building of something, but they had to repair it. And in the meantime, they gave it to the city yep. and the city gave it to this politician, uh, mover, shaker, uh, Sterling Downwind, who did under pressure graffiti convention every year and it's like hey do a street art uh gallery there so it was like a free for all of like all right street artists of montreal come here and fucking go nuts and yeah. i'm like all right i'm building a skate robot in this thing we're all spray painting indoors which is terrible for your health and yeah and adi came to take some pictures there and exactly. it was fun you you so i took the pictures first of all i was knocked out of my socks because the building is gigantic it's like a museum-sized place. The ceilings are super high. The walls are ready for, for street art. Mm -hmm. There's floors. It's so big. Yeah, yeah. And I already done gallery for many years in Europe. So to see something like this, I was like, this is, a, this is a heaven for right. artists. Very Berlin vibes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You introduced me to Sterling. And slowly but surely... I fell in love with the place and I came again and again and became like a documentary guy. I shot every event they did. Mm -hmm. So I was there all the time with my camera doing photography. I shot all the artists. So I got to know all the artists at the same time, which a lot of them are your friends also. Mm -hmm. Because Montreal artist community bound to bound to each other at yeah. some point. We're all friends to some degree. We all going to meet up at some wall next to each other at some point. Mm -hmm. And they all met at Fresh Paint. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them actually started there. They got their first big wall inside of this gallery. Right. So it took me a few years until, until Anna and Sterling asked me if I want to do something besides taking photos. Because I was already doing a lot of wheat paste in Israel. I was starting my street art world. Because when you see so much street art, you want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And well, I, you were doing wheat paste already. Yeah, I was doing a lot of wheat paste. That was my first form. I would paint first scale pieces uh, at home and go outside and wheat paste them. And every piece was individual painting. Mm -hmm. They were not like... Uh, it's not a photocopy, it's an it's original. It's not a photocopy. I'm, I'm wheat pasting large scale As it should painting. be. Like, you As know, it should be. If you're going to do wheat paste, which is like the quick, not so dangerous street art... Might as well give an original to the exactly. street. Labrona styles, you know? Exactly, Labrona style. So, like, I think my influences from the past of Europe street art, my love for, for Obey and that shocking imagery, and at the same time, my, my values to one kind of art piece, all got mixed together into wheat pasting. And when, when they gave me the chance to do my own installation, at Fresh Paint, I said yes, but I did not know what I was getting into because just like when I got into school, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I better do a good job because look at all these artists like K6A, Amas, they all like crushing crazy pieces here. I cannot do something yeah. small or immature. You got to make a good first impression. I got to make a really good impression. Otherwise... Uh, what, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. So I did uh, the paper installation, which took me a month mm -hmm. of 12 hours a day. Please explain our viewers what you did. So I took... A corner of a big room. I took a huge corner of a big room. I decided I have to s stick to the wheat pasting because I didn't have much brush or can skills. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, let's make this impressive. 
and wheat paste the hell out of this room. Mm -hmm. So I went and since I was already broke financially, I went and found books that were thrown away. And I always loved books and I always loved old books because there's some history in that. Right, like all the, the world is so digital now to hold a 50-year-old book with yellow pages. It's still magical to me. Right. So I found those books and I decided to give them a second life because they're already in the garbage. I brought them all in, tore them page by page, and I wheat paste them in a circular motion across the entire walls. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I decided, okay, this is not enough. Everybody can do this, even though it took me two, three weeks. Right. So I decided to hit the ceiling. And I hit the ceiling with the pages singly handed. Each page had a little string. Three string. Each page was burned, and each page had ink in different colors. Right. And you also drew on the pages stuck and, on the wall. Yeah. And also... I did little illustrations about the life that I like, like this, in, the inspiration. And when I was done, Sterling looked uh, at this piece and he, I think he said like, uh, yeah, you should do the floor also. So I did the floor also. Mm -hmm. And the picture of it is amazing. I think uh, you did a it's, great job. It's the first art installation that I did they, that made me uh, popular or made people ask, who is this guy? Before that, that never happened. Mm -hmm. So people wanted to know who, may, who is the crazy dude that made this thing and where can we see more of his work? There was no more of his work because this was the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I made a huge sun on it because I realized that I want to do five of these installations, each one representing a different element. Uh -huh. That's why a year after I did the water element and the other fresh paint. Right. And a year after I did... The earth, I think, and I'm still missing two, yeah. which I hope to get. But it's such a destructive piece. It ruins the walls of where you put it in. Right. You and really need like an abandoned gallery that's yeah. like, okay, you can trash this room in order to or it's, do this Or it's going to stay there. It's a permanent exhibition, which right. I don't know who does that anymore. Yeah, maybe a cafe or something. Yeah. So it could still happen. But so basically Fresh Paint is this gallery that came from the same people who did uh, Under Pressure, which exactly. is uh, a festival of graffiti. Can you tell us a little bit about Under Pressure since now you've worked for them and, and you know it really well? Yeah, Under Pressure has celebrated its 25th year this year. It's an international graffiti festival in Montreal. It's the longest festival in North America. And longest it, running. Longest running. Because it started in what? The, the, the 90s, the 90s. When graffiti was illegal. They were doing a festival for... Yeah. And all the people in the festival were illegal people that the cops wanted. But still, we had our movement here in Montreal. And it was very small. It was just a, a plywood and like a, a handful of guys just tagging it. Mm -hmm. And it came a long way. So it celebrates the no. lifestyle, hip-hop, breakdancing, b-boy, b-girl, music-making graffiti, uh, street art, skateboarding, and it just evolved to this massive family community-based festivals. Mm -hmm. And it, it happens the same time every year around August. It's about a week long, but actually three days of actual painting and breakdancing competition. They closed down downtown uh, Montreal, or usually, or they used to back in the, when it was strong. Yeah. 
and you know the streets had ramps and b-boys and djs dj cool herc has come a couple times and there was all these parties and basically under pressure was like the highlight of summer back in the day when I started coming to Montreal. That's true. But now in the same way that graffiti has become a little bit passe uh, compared to street art or what now we consider street art, yeah. Under Pressure has become a little bit passe compared to Mural Festival, the mural festival of Montreal, which has become the new cool popular thing above exactly. the hill, not downtown. So now it's I like see. their budget's lower, they're losing walls, like the, the momentum is like fading out, unfortunately, because they are the root yeah. of that whole, you know, street art would be nothing without graffiti and with yeah. movements like Under Pressure. Without Under Pressure, like a lot of people that started at Fresh Paint and Under Pressure evolve to Mural Fest and expanded to outside festivals right. and get contracts, real contracts. And they mm -hmm. consider themselves muralists now. Right. While they, their first wall was at Fresh Paint, for instance. Right. So it's, it's like CBGB. It's like there's a, there gotta be a, a core roots place to start. And that's what happens. You evolve, evolve, and you start moving up to the, the top floor of, of, the, of the building. Right, which is, which is okay. We all need to evolve. We all need to grow. Exactly. We all need to, you know, become all we want to become and not have to stay a certain level because of whatever. Yeah. But we always got to honor our roots. Yes. And I was a little bit bummed how people just kind of forgot of under pressure and even the graffiti movement to some degree when it's what, you know, what gave us all the chance to even have a room to destroy if we wanted to. Yeah. But hey, that's the world, right? <laughs> the world that we're living in is a bit chaotic. Maybe it was always chaotic. To me, let's say Mural Fest and Under Pressure are uh, different sides of the same coin. I appreciate them both because at the end, the city benefits. Uh, there's lots of art in the streets. There's work for artists. You have the roots community where it's hip hop and graffiti and you go over other people's wall. You remember the fun of just being around other like-minded and you have the other festival which celebrates superior artists from around the world doing mega-sized building mm -hmm. which usually end up in beautiful pieces. Right. It's... It's, it, it's, it's the city good. benefits from it. Right, it's all good. I don't... I, I used to really have like hatred feeling or or bitterness but i'm leaving that behind mm -hmm. because i i would work with both of these festivals because uh, if i live in montreal i would like to see more art not less right. i'm a big fan of under pressure because they welcome me as a family member and i and i work with them for years they gave me my first chance at the fresh paint um my where i live who i am with Mm -hmm. is because of that that was the the source so right. like my heart is will always be part of that because adi uh, his girlfriend is uh you know one of the managers of uh fresh paint and under pressure so uh, yeah 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 um that's true so talking about all this street art stuff you know you did your wheat paste you did your installation in these uh urban uh galleries yeah now, more recently, you started using the cans. This is a, a recent developing for you. And also, kind of recently, you started doing your love campaign. 
That's true. Like where you start writing love on, on, on walls and then you do a creature on top of it. Please tell me about these newest developments and using spray cans and uh, hitting the, the legal wall in Rouen and practicing. Oh my God. So I always respect I, street art. I love it so much. But wheat paste, I got it at some point. It's everybody looks at wheat paste as like ah, you're the you're the kids kids of, of of graffiti kids of street art like it's wheat paste like you want to really be a man grab a can right yeah, <laughs> yeah. spend some hours spend doing some a painting hours. on a wall and if you're gonna do it illegally risk your ass exactly <laughs> and and also I realized that like wheat paste like I can only reach certain size and. The glue is messy, and I was like, uh, I want to I wanna do what the other guys are doing. Look how beautiful the colors are. And so I realized I need to come up with a concept and repeat it, because that you, you only get street cred if you copy-paste yourself and you create the same creature or, or tag style. Right. You need to be recognized. You got to be have repetitiveness, sadly, because yeah. I think uh, repetitiveness in art is a little bit stagnant. Yeah. But... You gotta make yourself a name, so you gotta be recognizable. So yeah. your style has to be like, oh, that's an ID. Exactly. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I only knew that I it needs to be positive because I always were impressed with artists that take their voice, use it artistically outside, but create something, not generic crap or popular stuff that doesn't really shake your vibe that much that's why i like political stuff or you know revolutionary art or propaganda art things that like whoa what's what's this makes me think this mm -hmm. makes me think so it's either that or your superior artistical skills which are like great painters that become muralists that you just don't understand how they make that that's amazing to me right so i knew i don't have that <laughs> those levels so I was like, okay, I have to say yet, it. yet. You know, we're working at it. Yet. So I wanted, okay, let's let's give a message. And love, for some particular reason, is something I always been drawn to. I'm a romantic. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Mm -hmm. So like for me, I always felt that this much, these letters, this most cliche word in the English language, has a lot more deep roots than just L O V E, mm -hmm. and. I wanted to explore it and the the typography is something that I always loved if I, if I could switch worlds I would be a typographer right now okay. like I love fonts and the, the power of letters I always loved it mm -hmm. and the repetitive of writing the word love to me was uh, like like working on something so much that it becomes part of you and you value it and on purpose, if you look at my work, the love is always like in the background mm -hmm. and it's not as easy to read mm -hmm. because that's what I think love is also. It's right under your nose. It's everywhere on you, but you usually miss it all the time. Mm -hmm. But you are surrounded by it. And if you take mm -hmm. your time and you look at it, you will see love right. and you would feel it also. It's almost like <laughs> God, you know, because God is everythingness well and said. all of us but at the same time god is love so and if anything you're trying to visualize god vibration Very as the correct. fabric of all of existence that's true so i use love as the background 
It's not the main event, it's behind. Like, like when you work on a canvas, you, you, you give it praise, you, you, let's say, cleanse the canvas before, or you cleanse your house before you move in. This is how I cleanse my walls mm -hmm. or my canvases. The yeah. love is like, okay, we start from a good point. Yeah, I don't like, know what's going to happen. The, the base, the foundation, yeah, yeah. vibration yeah. of creation. It's like gesso, <laughs> just gesso it with love. Nice, and nice. slowly the lines started to happen. Coming from illustration and graphic design, I really like a clean line, but my lines were horrible when I grabbed a brush or a can. So I knew I have to practice because everything I've done in life the more I do it, the better I got. So the past three years, I've been doing strictly can work in a place that is a free wall. So I don't need to worry about cops coming to bust me. So you're talking about Rouen yeah, Bridge. Rouen Tunnel Bridge, whatever mm -hmm. side you're on. Yeah. So that's the closest to my house. So uh, I would go there and I still go there. And so you go, what, once a week? Twice a week. Twice a I week. try to hit it twice a week. And you spray paint a mural, try something new. Every time I try something new. This year I strictly struck with my uh, circles because I'm, I don't know why I'm obsessed with circle at this point. I mm -hmm. think it's a, an amazing, powerful shape. It helps me uh, conceptualize Right, and concept. it's one of those things where you can uh, create a consistency base yeah. that makes it like more recognizable for exactly. your style. And uh, so you've been doing spray painting two times a week. How is that for learning your, wow. your, your materials? Uh, the, do you like the spray cans? I'm in love. <laughs> I wish I could, uh, I really want this to, to make a living out yeah. of, of, of walls, making walls for a living. Mm -hmm. I really want to be out there. I don't get the same vibe when I'm on a computer anymore. Mm -hmm. This has been happening for a few years now. I don't get high from an illustration or graphic design as when I'm at a wall. Mm -hmm. I'm in such a zone of freedom with my own music and the mm -hmm. sun is shining. It's like skating, Dude. surfing, snowboarding. Yeah. When you are so into your painting, you are, you are eternal at that point. There's no time. It's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, in my normal life, I... Uh, spray paint a lot yeah. and sometimes it gets a little bit old because I get exhausted you know and you gotta do it every weekend for other people as a job it can lo lose a little bit of, of its luster of its magic so this summer I've had no jobs I've painted very few like two times all yeah. of summer is nothing and in the year I've probably painted five murals which is really nothing compared to what I usually paint yeah. but yesterday I painted a wall I had a very little budget they gave me a wall. I had the materials from another job that fell through. And I had such a good time yesterday. I was singing in the sun, just creating this DNT <laughs> portal for these kids. I saw that. Who that were, looks really cool. Yeah, these kids were stoked and they're all like, oh my God, we get a Chris Dyer mural by our, our like a rooftop patio. This is a dream come true. So you make happy a little community. Exactly. They're going to throw their parties there. So it's, it's all goodness upon goodness. And I, I missed that a little bit. I definitely had to paint something before it got too cold. That's it. That's it. That's what you always have to remember in Montreal like my street artists in Tel Aviv for instance paint all year long so they get twice as fast in skills right because they, they have they don't have off time right here once it gets cold for six months you're not able to paint right you can but if you're traveling if you're traveling or if you do super small very fast pieces 
Right. And I like to take my time. Every piece I do can go from four to ten hours. Right. I actually like the uh, the conceptual stuff. I don't like uh, doing sketchy things anymore. Right. That's where us Canadians are a little bit in a disadvantage as street artists who need the streets in order to do our murals and improve our, or at least keep up our spray paint uh, skills. Yeah. And skateboarding, because you also can't skate the streets when it's all snowy. And uh, then when you the spring comes back, it's almost like you got to remember to ollie and kickflip yeah, yeah. again. And then you got to remind your finger what the little Who's movement that? does. But, uh, yeah, but that's, that's what happens is that in the six months of spring and summer, Montrealers, artistic Montrealers, go full blast. Right. They paint crazy amount. They skate all the time. So it's like compressed uh, explosions. It's and a it, madness. It's madness. Streets. It's madness. And you, and you catch up to the winter time. Mm -hmm. And in the winter, you retire to canvas, studio time, right. it's build a nice your break website. Too, yeah. Or travel, you know. If or you're that travel. motivated, it's like, hey, let's get the fuck out. Let's go somewhere. I think you got the smartest business technique because you constantly travel, you escape the winter, and you stay productive when you're not here. Because the winter here is very hard for artists. There's not much mm. galleries... Not, even before COVID, which was already difficult. So now, like, very difficult. The winter is coming. You're going to be lucky if you can push something, exhibit something. You cannot right. paint. It's known to, to bring people kind of down here. Right. You, you, you are smart. You. you <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, I, I'm, I'm versatile, you know. Like, yeah. uh, yes, I love to paint a mural and live paint, but now those things are not happening so much, but mm -hmm. I already had my web store, I already had uh, graphics that I could yeah. offer. Like there's different things I, w I could offer and when the COVID hits, like, well, I guess it's time to go back to doing graphics or maybe it's time to work on my second book or, you know, I can't teach workshops anymore so let's push that online workshop exactly. that you made and never promoted <laughs> you are you are like a chameleon you are constantly changing but you're always busy you you evolve no matter what the situation is so like if you're stuck here you'll find a way to 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 cash in if you can travel you will always be busy you, i never see you like i'm gonna chill for three months and do nothing oh i could never do that exactly me, so, me too so like depressed we we constantly have to make stuff, even if it's a sketch or a wall or a graphics, because we love doing things. We and 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 we building sort of an artistical legacy. But the truth is that if if nobody watch our stuff, we're still gonna do it. Oh yeah, like it's not for popularity that we do it. That's just uh, for the ego. Yeah. But being popular and well known is what will sell your shit so then you can keep on doing it That's so true. it kind of puts pressure on say like somebody like you who will do artists either way but you also got to think like oh i gotta make my post gotta keep uh, people liking me so then yeah. i can sell a couple things and pay the rent and keep on going yeah it's it sucks that we have to think that it's way. in the constantly in the backside of my mind when i i used to draw something really fresh and stylish and it was just that now even before i start i'm like okay can this be in a canvas how much will i charge how much would i work i can no longer escape that except when i paint it ruan because mm -hmm. you I know, know you won't make any money from painting there's no your money <laughs> and it's probably gonna get tagged the day after right those murals don't last more than a day eh? if if you have respect 
maybe a few days, but there's lots of toys every year. There's a new generation and uh, let's say parents bring their own kids to test cans. Wow. So you can get angry, but uh, you cannot get angry on a small little girl because she's actually painting with her dad who is a grapher. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, which teaches you how to let go and remind you the original uh, vibe of street art. It's there. It might not be there again. So you paint, you enjoy the moment when you take the photo and you go home, you really say goodbye to the piece. Right. Impermanence is such an important uh, lesson yeah. from painting in the streets. If you're painting in the streets, that's not your painting anymore. It's of the streets. Exactly. And the streets will do what the streets will do. And well, you gotta, so. just got to bite the bullet if it died the next day. If somebody goes over you, you can be angry, but it's not going to really help because mm. it's in the streets. You want nobody to touch your work? Do just gallery work. Do commission inside. Just make canvases. Right. If you're in the streets, you're playing, part of the you're, job. You're playing that game. So if you're they go over you, go over them. Or repair or move repair, on to another spot. Or and uh, you can even... Today, people are actually talking to each other. I've seen this happening a lot this year. Of, of somebody got tagged or you have been tagged. You, are, you will confront the tagger and you would either reach sort of agreement. I don't touch you, you don't touch me. End of story. Or beef, which is worldly known. You have beef in hip-hop, you have beef in skateboarding, you have beef on the streets. Mm -hmm. So it happens. But like, if, like me, I support love. It would be very weird if I hate when somebody crosses my love piece. Mm -hmm. That's like believing in karma and not believing it when some shit stuff happened to you. So like, you gotta take the bullet. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know where it's gonna go. All I know is that I am madly in love with can work, with spray work, and my lines are getting better. I feel more confident. I feel more confident I'm experimenting. I feel more confident working with other people. A few years ago, you would tell me there is a place for me. I would almost force myself to say, yes, I'll paint, but I'll be really scared and stressed the whole time. Now I'm actually having fun. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward for bigger pieces and maybe I'll be a bit smarter and start applying for festivals because there's a lot of festivals right. and we are always bitter. How come they get to right. call and not us? Apparently they, they approach yeah. and they make calls, which yeah. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> research all of the festivals that are out there in the world or well, at least in your own country. Yeah. And say like, hey, I, this is my style, um, you know, let's see if you'll take me. And maybe they'll give you a nice mural. And once you do one or two, then that's, more people want that's it. What happens. That's the more what you happens. do something, the more people will ask you to do more of that. Exactly. If, if, if you don't show your work, if you don't step out or go jump into the water, people don't know you, don't know your style, they won't call you. Mm -hmm. So now I'm doing the repetitive thing to a point that people tag me even if my pieces don't have my name on it because they mm. see it and they already know who is this guy. Awesome. And that's the level I wanted to start. So if I continue from there, I don't need to work that hard to show people who I am. They either know my work or not. And if they hire me, they would want something that I already love doing and not ask me, can you do this, which is totally not my style. Right. So it's almost like you're like reinventing yourself yet again. Yet again. And uh, but you're building the foundation, you're yeah. putting in the work, you're putting in the time, you know what you want, and slowly you will go towards the goals you want to achieve. In, in theory, 
Well, you're doing the work, so I'm I doing the work. I don't see I'm doing why the work. Not. Nobody dare call me lazy <laughs> or sleeping on the job. I'm doing the work. Mm -hmm. I have faith that it will take me somewhere. Yeah. I still do canvases and small work because you know how it is. Sometimes a t-shirt will sell more than your canvas because yeah. either you're way too expensive or you don't have that market yet. Right. Or ex exhibition power. You gotta be point. versatile and have yeah, a bunch exactly. of things to offer. Exactly. You know, like... And I still secretly want to get back into music because as much as I love art is not even close to how I feel when I hold the mic. That right. is, I know that in my roots, in my core, core being, uh, I must return to it. I don't know how. I'm not 20 years old anymore. I don't know if I need to start a new band or learn guitar and be a solo, solo guy or make beats. Mm-hmm. But I know it's coming. Nice. The music will be back. All right. So, Adi, you are 42 years old? 40, 44. 44? Going 45 in two days. What? You're going to turn 45 years old in two days? 45. And you're about to have your first child. Oh, yes. How is that? A baby girl coming in in about, I think, two to three weeks, she'll be here. Wow, amazing. How does it feel to have your first child at 45 years old? I've never been this scared in my life, but at the same time, there is this excitement that completely pushed that fear away. Mm -hmm. Like normally you, uh, you have fear before you do something you've never done before, a big project, and you you kind of get into it and it sort of mellows itself out. This time, it's a welcome fear, which I totally understand because it's, it's clichely normal to, to, to be at this, uh, with this feeling. But the excitement of, of meeting another part of you and bonding as a family and I don't, I can't even put it to words because like I never been in that place before. Right, you'll have to find out, I guess. Yeah, I'm, really, I'm super stoked on it. Uh, I pushed it for most, yeah, my entire life I pushed it. I was really against having kids. Uh -huh. Like even if you watched my documentary, I clearly say that my music and my art are my babies. I don't want kids. Uh -huh. That totally changed. Wow. Cool. Well, I needed to evolve, basically. Sounds beautiful. I'm stoked, and I hope one day I reproduce too. Well, you know, if it's meant to be, we'll see what happens. But that's that's the more you plan in your head, the more mistakes and bizarre stuff will happen. The second that you let go and you really trust the universe, just allow it will evolve by itself. Mm -hmm. That's why it took me 45 years to understand that I'm ready. Uh, and I, I haven't even started. I'm just building to the, to the feeling of becoming a father. What kind of father I want to be? What kind of dad? Mm -hmm. What music will be played? Mm -hmm. What movies will we watch? Will, mm -hmm. will she skate? Will she paint? Maybe, maybe not, none of those things. Yeah. It's a next level of love I never even had. And I, ne I didn't even meet her yet because she's not here. She's somewhere right. brewing in Anna's belly. You're right. But, uh, Do you think the soul is already in there? The soul is there, for sure. Uh -huh. I, I believe the soul gets around three months when it's the belly. First trimester, I believe. Uh -huh. It's there. Yeah. It hears us. It's, it knows our vibes already. Wow. And 
I consider this as like the greatest art project that will last my entire life. Right. That's the ultimate art project. And it also, yeah, to do, do a human. <laughs> Make your own human. <laughs> yeah. And it makes me also want to be a lot more responsible, being a good person, like even better than I thought I was. I need to learn how to take care of my babies, literally, which means I have to be a lot more smarter when it comes to business-wise. So all those little things that I kind of shoved under the table, ah, next month, next, ah, I'm okay. You got some fire under your ass now. You got to get this shit going. It's real fire. And I know myself from experience, when you give me a deadline or you set a fire, I actually produce more and better. Mm -hmm. So I think this is going to make me a better artist, a better person, and hopefully a much clever businessman that take uh, priorities seriously. And not just wiggle around like a drunk stoner that I was in my youth. Mm. And I'm looking forward to it. At 45, it's a good, it's a good beginning. Nice, it's a man. little older than all of my friends have second, third kids. Their kids are going into high school now. So I'm the last dinosaur on my friends mm -hmm. that bring a child to the planet. But how great that you got to enjoy your youth all the way to 45 before oh. becoming the adult, you know? <laughs> Why not? That's it. That's it. I... The race is, is like I'm already in the race for a while, so I find more time with my loved ones. I, I think I'm going to be a, a much more hands-on dad than, than if you're 20 and you have a kid that you still have to run a career. Or, or when your kid is already old enough, you then reinvent yourself and get really into career in your 40s. Mm -hmm. We'll see where it goes. Totally. Well, I wish you a lot of luck there, my dear friend. <sighs> yeah. So, Adi, we're coming to the end of our show. It was very interesting. I'd love having you over. Uh, any final mm -hmm. words to all our viewers, young artists, old artists, whoever's out there, people who, you know, might be pessimistic about the state of the world? You're the kind of person who, like, listens to both what people would consider conspiracy yeah. theories or alternative sources of media yeah. and also listens to the mainstream narrative what's your point of view on where the world's at right now or do you have any words of wisdom for us we can talk five hours just on this subject where we are now i think you have to make a stand for yourself what kind of world you want to see because we're in a history chapter right now so this chapter will end and another one will begin because this is this is history like there have been wars and plagues before we just didn't have internet and a thousand channels of news coming at us at 24 hours and everybody has an opinion and everybody shares their opinion there's a lot to filter mm -hmm. so take it easy take a deep breath do the research follow the money uh, mm -hmm. investigate a little bit more than what the usual stuff that comes through the TV is coming. Don't be judgmental so much. Don't hate so much. Listen, because there's no way you know everything. Mm -hmm. And also test upon yourself and, and like evolve as we go along, because things change constantly. So I don't know where we will be one year from now, I know that I have to take care of myself and everybody who's around me is probably going to share that vibration also. Mm. And I will try new things on myself and my child to see like where, where are we? Right. Maybe we'll have to fight zombies in a couple of years. <laughs> I don't know. I have a samurai sword ah. <laughs> and we will be ready when the time comes. Right. Maybe not 
nothing will happen. Maybe things will get better. Maybe we'll wisen up. But yeah. either way, you can always come down to Peru and hide in my farm with Yay. me. <laughs> Anyways, Adi, thank you so much. Woo! This is amazing. Great thank you interview. So much. Thank you so much. To you guys who are still watching, thank you so much for tuning in to Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. And I'll see you next time. Blessings. Stay healthy. Yeah. Next week, my guest will be Slowst. People are just going about their life and then they catch something. And that's what I love about street art is that like, it's not for a gallery viewer where you know you have to go into somewhere to see it or like there's already all these walls out for you to get your art in there. So nobody's gonna see it. But if you just put it on the street, they ha like kind of have to see it. <laughs> and I love the conversation too with street art of of you know somebody rips it away or somebody tags on top and a lot of art, a lot of muralists, uh, street artists, they get really ego about it where they're like oh I gotta go fix my thing like some kawaii did it. But I think it's all kind of part of the process. It's all part of the dialogue, and and it kind of like removes yourself from the thing too. Like once I put it up in the street, it no longer belongs to me. It belongs to the street, and whoever wants to take and and add to it, that's on them. And I'm just gonna walk by as if I'm a new viewer. And I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it for the first time again. So make sure to subscribe, like, and everything else. Big thanks and see you next week. Peace.